Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent interviews that have taken place on JM in the AM. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, author of the book The Concealed and the Revealed, is with us this week. An amazing uh, book, a great conversation. And of course, if you go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio and order it today. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, a recent guest on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Monday morning broadcast, JM in the AM. The book is called The Concealed and the Revealed. Adar Purim Megillah Sester, The Royal Intrigue and Divine Irony of the Purim Miracle. It's written by Daniel, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, who's with us live via telephone, is Rav and founder of Mahon Magid Harakia in Cedarhurst, New York. Rabbi Gladstein is one of the contemporary Jewish world's most popular speakers and respected Magid Shir. His more than 7,000 recorded shiurim have garnered millions of views on TorahAnytime.com and other venues. His Hebrew sfarim as well have garnered acclaim throughout the Torah world. Rabbi Glatzin has a masterful grasp of an exceptional array of sfarim and commentaries and a rare ability to explain profound teachings with remarkable clarity. We are recommending, as we have with other Rabbi Glatzin books, go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. You want to make sure to do that today so you can have this book in time for Purim. It is called The Concealed and the revealed rabbi daniel gladstein a pleasure to welcome you to jm in the am thank you so much Nachum. how are you good morning baruch hashem doing well it's adar after all so uh, i'm hoping everyone's doing well and has a uh, a good sympathetic perspective even during these crazy times can i start with my favorite chapter of your book <laughs> please <laughs> thank you my favorite chapter there are a lot of great ones and there are some amazing and tremendous insights not that you need my endorsement the chapter, the chapter is entitled "The Purim Story," right back at you. Oh, I'm glad you chose that one. <laughs> I mean, this is. I, I mean, you know, I know the Megillah relatively well, as relative as well as a Balabus, you know, knows it, and it's something that we know since we're kids. But my gosh, I never realized how many things are either built, created, introduced in the Megillah that end up being used for an either exact opposite purpose or for the purpose of the salvation of Klal Yisrael. And you point out so many of them, and I thought it was just amazing. Can you expand on this a little bit? Can you tell the listeners yeah, what I have in absolutely. mind by all this? And, and uh, Nachum, now I see, uh, and I always know this, you're the best in the industry. Here you Woo. have a book, it's 500 pages, and you just <laughs> zero in, really, on my favorite chapter. Thank you. I've had a number of speaking engagements the last two weeks, and I always find myself speaking about this subject. Um, the one which I consider just a gift from Shemayim yeah. is that the Megillah ends, that Ahasuerus taxes the people, right. which seems like irrelevant information. Why is the Megillah even including this? The, why do we need to know about the taxes? Nobody cares about taxes. In fact, you point, and, out, you point out when you introduce that, that when you think about it, there's nothing political or diplomatic mentioned in the entire Megillah in terms of what's going on in Ahasuerus' kingdom. Yeah, absolutely. And the Megillah even says that you want to know the rest of the story, you want to know the politics, go to the Chronicles of Persia Media. Right. But uh, you got the wrong book here. And something that occurred to me was when I was learning Sefer Ezra, was when the Jews returned after the 70 years to rebuild the second base on Mikdash, and they couldn't afford to finance the construction, they turned to Darius, Daryavesh, right. son of Ahasuerus and Esther, right. and he says, you know what? He opens up the, the royal treasury, and he gives them tax money, Unbelievable. and and I said to myself, where did he get all this tax money from? It's from It's from the taxes yeah. Achashverosh collected. 
But but the real special insight is here Achashosh is making a party and he thinks he's celebrating the eternal destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. Right. And God says, watch this. This party will bring the demise of Vashti. You'll marry Esther. You'll have a kid, Darius. You're going to charge the people taxes. Then when you die, your kid's going to get it. And he's going to fund the building of the second Beis Hamikdash. Oh. So while you thought you were celebrating destruction, the party was laying the foundation of the second Beis Hamikdash. It's unbelievable. And, and you have other examples, by the way, in Jewish uh, history, including biblical history, uh, which are amazing, such as Moshe Rabbeinu growing up in the house of Paro. Paro, actually, when you think about it, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but Paro, when you mm-hmm. think about it, and tell me if this is too strong a language, literally trains Moshe how to be a Absolutely. leader, how to be a leader of a nation. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the the Ibn Ezra writes. If if Moshe would have grown up with the rest of the Jews, he would have had a slave mentality. He would right. have had a low morale, and Paro groomed him for a greatness. And I, you know, the I say tongue in cheek. Paro kibel Torah misinai. Without Paro, we never would have had the Torah. Unbelievable. So, Unbelievable. And then, of course, the most incredible example, but the way you present it, I think, is just remarkable. <laughs> and that is the fact that Haman, Haman builds a 100-foot-tall gallows, right? He bu- builds gallows because yeah. he, he has in mind that this is where Mordecai's end is going to be. And you explain, mm-hmm. and you explain why, in fact, it was so tall and how that ended up being his demise. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, he thought that, you know, he would capitalize on the fact that Achishosh, he's so wishy-washy. He's always changing his mind. So he has to have some kind of eyesore staring Achishosh in the face so that if he ever got angry at Mordechai, he would just capitalize on that moment and see the gallows looming in the background and say, all right, hang Mordechai. Right. And that's really what backfired against uh, Haman because uh, Haman took one misstep with Esther and Achishosh got upset. You never know. Maybe a day later he would have calmed down, but because he had that gallows looming in the background. He just took advantage of, of it. Harvona says, Tolu, I love, hang him. And Achshosh uh, did that in the heat of the moment. Unbelievable. So great. And what's interesting is uh, that there are many examples in history where this principle is very evident. And even in our own times, you think about how uh, in 1947, 1948, we were losing the war. We didn't have ammunition in Eretz Israel. And God put into the mind of the biggest tyrant in history, Stalin, who killed 20 million people. God put in his mind, you know, Israel, they're socialists. They'll probably be communists. I don't like the British in the Middle East. Stalin funded the war in Eretz Yisrael. If we have uh, a state today, if we have a mirror yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael today, we have Stalin to thank for it. And that's just a, a modern-day example yeah. if we have, of this if, principle. If we, if we have a place for Ukrainian Jews to go and be refugees, then we have, yeah, we, right. we have Israel to do that. It's a pretty amazing, a great example. Um, there's, there's something else I have to point out. This is not from the same chapter, but it, it struck me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, m- many of us know, if we're familiar with the Purim story, that uh, Esther invites Haman to the party. And the reality is... That especially for you know somebody who who we get the impression might be a little timid, might be a little uh, intimidated uh, by her enemy. Uh, it's a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a curious fact that she invites Haman to this party, uh, which she wants you know Achashverosh to attend. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, it, it it struck me when I read what you wrote. 
Uh, you know, we, we say uh, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> Esther may have Esther may have been going at that with that philosophy that if she can get Haman to trip up, if she can get Haman to do something inappropriate in front of Achashverosh, you know, half the battle could be won right there. What can you tell us about the curious fact that she invited him? Yeah, the, that's a major discussion in the Gemara. You know, Mara Esther Shazimnas Haman. What was Esther thinking? And the Talmud goes through many possibilities of what her calculation was. And the Talmud concludes that they asked Elio Anavi, and Elio said all of the above. She, was th- she had a dozen of various calculations, and uh, they came to fruition. And it's very interesting how many, uh, and one of the chapters in the book is about why Elio Anavi seems to play uh, many roles in the Megillah, including dressing up in a costume, huh. and that is he, dress, he dressed up as Charvona, because in the beginning of the story, Charvona is spelled with an Aleph, right. and later on in the story, it's spelled with a Hey, right. and our sages teach us that was actually Elio Anavi in his best Charvona costume. Well, if that's the case, and, he deserves a better mention in Shoshanas Yaakov, <laughs> if he's really Elio exactly. <laughs> exactly, and, and because we always say Eliyahu, Zachor Latayv, so we give that to Charvona, and we say, Begam Charvona, Zachor Latov. Wow. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Uh, Monday morning, JM in the AM, Rabbi Daniel Glatstein is with us. The book is called The Concealed and the Revealed, Adar, Purim, Megillah, Sester. Get ready, everybody. Wednesday night, unless you're in Yerushalayim, Wednesday night we're going to be reading uh, Megillah, Sester, and, and, and reacquainting ourselves with this incredible story. Why do you think, why do you think, we, we ended up with an obligation to hear every word. Why is it not enough to do what we do with other Megillos, which is, you know, to, to give a casual listen when, when we're in shul? Why do you think that Megillas Esther ended up with this requirement as generations uh, progress that we have to, in fact, halachically hear every single word of this oh, Megillah? I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, a matter of dispute, again, in the Talmud, how much of the Megillah you have to read. And we ultimately rule, like the opinion of Rabbi Meir, you have to read the whole Megillah. Right. And one of the very important explanations is, is because we need to start from the very beginning of the story where the Jewish people committed a very grave sin. Mordechai told them, don't go to the party. This is not, this is not going to engender goodwill from HaKadosh Baruch right. You can't go to the party. And think about it. That party that warranted annihilation, HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed on the Jewish people a threat of Lahash Midlara Goliabed, of national annihilation, at that very party, when they were sinning, Hashem was still paving the way that if they were to do tshuva, He would save them. So at the party that, that was a, a great grave sin, Hashem knocked off Vashti, putting Esther into place, so that if we would repent, Hashem would save us. Oh, Hassan Sofer writes, that is actually the greatest miracle of the Purim story that even while we're sinning, Hashem's love for us is unwavering, and He's awaiting our tshuva. And that's really one of the most important messages of our time, that uh, regardless of what level a Jew is on, Hashem's love for them is immutable and unwavering, and Hashem is always awaiting our return to Him. And that's why we have to start from the very beginning of the story. Can can one uh, can one name a book uh, about um, uh, about Esther Megillas Esther and Purim uh, concealed and revealed when we uh, growing up were told that everything about the Megillah is in fact only concealed? 
Well, that's right. That that's the whole uh, essence of the story. That's Hashem's the whole revelation. Name does not appear, <laughs> right? It's a time of uh, concealment on Hester Panim, and on the other hand, there's an amazing teaching of the Arizal that the light of Purim was the greatest revelation of spiritual light in the history of the Jewish people. Its light is more brilliant than even Shabbos and Yom Tif and all of the Chagim. And there's even a statement by Hassam Sofer, and who but the Hassam Sofer could have made such a statement, that the light of Megillah's Esther is even greater than the Torah itself. Unbelievable. So on the one hand, it's a time of great concealment, as you say, and on the other hand, it's the time of the greatest revelation. Incredible. So Incredible. we have this... Uh, Really amazing dichotomy. You know what part of your book I loved because it meant so much to us here. Uh, we we have uh, over the last couple of years we've started a uh, a Nissan, I guess in a way it really starts in Adar, uh, but a Nissan Chesed mm-hmm. campaign, and we've started a mm-hmm. an Elul slash Tishrei Chesed campaign. We're always encouraging people to do Chesed, but we try to think of mm-hmm. unique unique ideas uh, where people could really step it up during those two times of the year. And you pointed out that there's an <laughs> mm-hmm. illusion in the Megillah. To, I can't believe I never knew this, by the way. I mean, how did I go to Yeshiva <laughs> Day School and not know this, that there's an illusion in the Megillah to the, the not only to obviously the month of Adar, which, you know, the story mm-hmm. takes place, but to Elul and Tishrei as well. Just remind me what the what the abbreviation is. What the, yes, uh, the so Russian we have uh, by the, the mitzvah of Matanas Lavionim, Ish Lareyehu Umatanas Lavionim, that right. they spell out an acrostic. The first letter of those four words spell out the word Elul. Wow. And uh, often in the Talmud, when it references the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, it speaks about it together with the mitzvah of blowing the shofar. Right. And uh, interestingly, in Sefer Nehemiah, it talks about a mitzvah of Mishloach Manos on Rosh Hashanah as well. Really? Once, yeah. And uh, it's actually codified by the Prichadash that before Rosh Hashanah, one should also give out Mishloach Manos. So there, there is an idea of a connection between Purim and the High Holidays. Well, and, Purim and Yom Kippurim and all that, we always, that, that, that one I remember. <laughs> uh-huh. you know, Purim and and, and certainly, um, you remember from the, the prayers of the High Holidays, almost every chapter of the Shemona Esri begins with the word right. and the word really comes from when Esther was about to stand before Ahasuerus, it says so we're trying to evoke on the high holidays the feeling of Esther about to stand before the king wow. so there are a number of very uh, compelling similarities I like the fact that the chesed component is stepped up in Adar, which is the last month of the year, right, before before the national yeah. year of Nisan begins. And, of course, in Elul, as you just said, and Rosh Hashanah, which, of course, is the end of and the very beginning of the new year. Uh, I love that, um, uh, the fact that there's a comparison between those two time slots. Rabbi Daniel Gladstein is with us, the concealed and the revealed. All right, uh, Rabbi Gladstein, we can't do the entire book on the air, but I must ask you, <laughs> I must ask you, you got to give me a perspective on Adar. I mean, you know, it, it, we we know that you know Adar has a yeah. significance, and we're told to go to court in Adar as opposed to other times of the year if you have a choice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Good luck in Adar. Uh, all this, mm-hmm. uh, um, although you know there are times that you know some things that are not great happen in Adar, but all right, you know that that's life, as they say. What is it? Right. Ab- what is it about this month? What is it in our tradition that makes the month of Adar so special? Well. Uh, one of the ideas that we speak about in uh, the book is we know the symbol of Adar is the fish. 
dug, Amazal Adar Dagim. And there's one unique facet of the fish, which is uh, remarkable, and that is it's one of the only animals that is missing one part. It has no neck. There's no neck. It's a head and a body just fused together. It's missing its tzavar. It has no neck. The base hamikdash is called the neck of the Jewish people. The job of a neck is it connects the head to the body. Right. The temple, the base hamikdash, connects us, the guf, the body, to our head, God. But in the month of Adar, which is symbolized by the fish, that represents a month we don't even need the Beis HaMikdash. We're able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu even and transcend the need for a Beis HaMikdash, almost as the original plan for creation for Hashem, just to rest on the Jewish people without any medium. And therefore, it reflects a time of the future when we will be able to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu directly. And it's sort of reminiscent of a future day. It's reminiscent of the days of Mashiach. And therefore, it's the one month, it's the one yomtif of the year that will never cease because it's, so to, so to speak, a page out of the future, a page out of a future time, a, pa- a page out of the days of the Mashiach. We'll always have Purim. Uh, we'll always have Purim. Purim will always be there. And it's funny, again, it's the month before what we call Chodesh HaGeula. It's the final, right. final month before you get That's to right. Nisan. Um, That's right. Sir. And we spoke, of course, about Megillah Sester, but about the holiday itself in terms of Purim, you know, th- there are so many messages that we focus on and so many people in the community focus on. Look, you know Mishloch Manos has become a, an industry in and of itself. And, bar- and, bar- <laughs> and Baruch Hashem, Matanus Le'avyonim, has become an industry. Right. You know, people pay much more attention to making sure they give Matanus Le'avyonim and give, if they can't do it themselves, give it to their rabbi in advance or on Purim, uh, which, which I, again, when I, was, when I was younger, I don't think people paid as much attention to it. And so there are many important aspects of the holiday uh, that, that do get more attention and are taken much more seriously. Uh, but we do have, mm-hmm. the, but sometimes people do lose focus. And hearing the Megillah twice, both night and day, are so vital. What, what, what would you tell us, especially after writing this incredible book, what would you tell mm-hmm. us should be our focus on Purim? I know you, you're a believer in doing all the mitzvahs that I mentioned. I got it. <laughs> but but what, what, what should our focus be? What should the message be that we transmit to our children and grandchildren on a, on a day like this coming Thursday? If I could share one personal thought. Sure. Uh, this book is dedicated to, to the memory of my revered grandfather, Rabbi Mordechai Leib Gladstein, who is a Holocaust survivor. He just passed away this year at 105 years old. Wow. And when he was in Auschwitz, he heard uh, the old people crying as they were being taken out and to, to be killed. Who's going to say Kaddish for us? Who's going to remember us? And my grandfather, despite going through and traversing Auschwitz and Dachau and seeing all the terrible places, he dedicated his life to bring support, encouragement, chesed to old people, to zakenim, to sick people, to downtrodden people, because he recognized that when you're a survivor, it is your mission and it is your obligation in this world to bring joy to other people, and that is the greatest joy of a Jew, to bring simcha to others. So if Hashem saved Klal Yisrael collectively as a nation, and therefore we are all survivors, our primary obligation on Purim is to do whatever we can to bring joy to others, because that's really the only way for a person to experience true simcha. As the Rambam codifies, the greatest simcha is to uplift the hearts of the needy, the downtrodden, the lonely, and that's uh, our 
a main obligation on Purim and throughout the year to bring Simcha to other Jews, and that will engender the greatest Simcha within uh, within us and our own families. And as we discussed earlier regarding Chesed, and you just, you just uh, touched on it, if we know people in the community that are in fact lonely, are not getting the Mishloch Manos that others may be getting, are not getting the visitors on Purim and other times of the year, uh, then we should pay careful attention to their situation and try very hard to bring them joy. As you just said, that's the obligation. We just want we should bring them joy and happiness whenever possible. And uh, what a great what a great message that is for this Purim. A lot of people are, are a lot of people are suffering terribly right now on this globe. Many of them from our community. Many of them from our national community. A lot of people are suffering terribly. We see what's going on in the Ukraine. Uh, we see what's happening in different areas of Eastern Europe and Israel in terms of the refugees. And, of course, the people in other parts of the world have their own uh, difficulties. It's really important to keep in mind that as much as we are joyous, Baruch Hashem, this week, and have a wonderful mm-hmm. Yom Tov coming up, uh, there are a lot of people that really do need to uh, be uplifted, and it's our obligation to do so. What a really And to, to instill in people that just as Hashem brought salvation to us yeah. in Persia 2,000 years ago, Cain Tihi Alanu, we hope and we, we are confident he will again bring national and personal salvation to all of the Jewish people. You know, Rabbi Glatstein, I always joke with people who write books about Kinnis, <laughs> how, how horrible it must be, you know, being involved in Tisha for the entire year that you're writing the book. <laughs> what's, it li- what's it like having Purim on your desk all year round? It must be amazing to write a book on Purim. Oh, I, lo- I love Purim. I love Purim. <laughs> so you literally got, yeah, to have, love- you got to have Purim all year and during COVID, an, ex- an extra bonus. How do you like that? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and an extra month, uh, you know, That's of Adar right. this year is always, uh, That's right. is always an added bonus. Uh, the Concealed and the Revealed, or by Daniel Gladstein is the author. The Royal Intrigue and Divine Irony of the Purim Miracle. Get it today, folks. This way you'll have it before Purim begins. Go to artscroll.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Again, go to artscroll.com. The book is called The Concealed and the Revealed, or by Daniel Gladstein. A real pleasure to speak with you. Mazal tov on the book. Have a wonderful, a wonderful Simchas pleasure Purim. Pleasure with mine. Appreciate Stay that. well, Rav Nacham, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. A pleasure. Thank you so much. The Concealed and the Revealed, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein, everybody. Artsgirl.com. Make sure to use promo code radio. Monday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Order the book now. Go to artscroll.com and make sure to use promo code radio. Our friends from OHEL were on recently. We spoke with CEO David Mandel, and we spoke with Civi Ryder, and we spoke about the brand new Zachter Trauma Center uh, that has basically gone national at this point. Here's the interview. David Mandel, Civi Ryder, recently on JMNAM. Here they are on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. It is a Monday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM, and uh, we have a couple of very special guests with us live via telephone. Today we get an opportunity to hear a major announcement and uh, to speak about some very important services that are being uh, provided by a very special and wonderful organization uh, in a completely brand new environment, and we'll explain all of it coming up. Uh, our first guest is the CEO of OHEL, who has been a regular with us so many times and is um, always helping us with the mission of the Nahum Siegel Network, and that's, of course, David Mandel. David, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nahum. Pleasure to be here, always. Appreciate that. And the director of the uh, Children's and the Trauma Services of the Zachter Family National Trauma Center's Civi Ryder, and she's with us live via telephone as well. Civi, welcome to JM in the AM. 
Oh, thank you for having me. A pleasure. David, we said, as you heard me allude to it a moment ago, uh, there is a major announcement that's going to be the uh, uh, the springboard for this morning's conversation. What can you tell the community um, from the uh, from uh, the uh, epicenter of OHEL's activities on this Monday morning? The word trauma seems to be on everyone's lips uh, for quite some time, especially over the last two years with COVID and certainly over the past couple of days with everything that's going on in Ukraine and Russia, not only for the Jewish community, but the world over. So trauma has become an all too commonplace word um, um, across the state, across the country, across the world. OHEL has long done work in trauma, excellent work in anxiety and trauma. And OHEL is extremely proud to announce the establishment of the OHEL Zachta Family National Trauma Center. That's Mel and Phil Zachta. Mel is the co-president of OHEL. And what this means is that OHEL's work in trauma not only continues, but it expands on a national level across the United States in a much more formal way, in a much fuller way, with additional staff, with additional support, and with continued expertise with Dr. Norman Blumenthal, who's been OHEL's mainstay in leading the work in trauma, and Sidney Vider, as you mentioned, the Director of Children's and Trauma Services at OHEL. So we're very excited about it, and we look forward to continuing to do this all-important work, Nachum. The, um, the, uh, the national uh, goal, uh, or the goal of having this to be national, now it being established as national, and Mazal Tov to the Zachters, by the way, amazing friends and incredible community leaders, as anybody who's heard this show over the last 35 years knows. Um, and David, if this is a question for Tzivi, you'll let us uh, you know, redirect, but uh, here's the question. Uh, when you say staff, does that mean literally people that will be in assorted cities around the United States who could respond to different situations and be there when needed? Do you mean that it'll be a larger staff in the New York area that will be able to go out and be part of uh, situations where trauma guidance is needed? What do, we, what do we mean by an expansion like this? So you asked two questions, and the answer to both questions are yes. We're going to be having additional staff in um, our main offices in New York. As you know, so much of today's work is done virtually, virtually in many different ways. Right. And we're also going to be shortly announcing that we will be having staff um, physically located and doing trauma work in South Florida, and we're going to be making an announcement of a major dedication there um, shortly, and we'll have staff located in other parts of the country as well in other states, and we'll be making those announcements in time. And I will turn to Civi, and Civi can describe some of the services that we'll be providing both in person and in many ways virtually. Civi, go right ahead. Sure, sure. So now we uh, have the opportunity to not consolidate our services, but also expand our services to be able to offer really more depth and breadth to our services. 
as an example, we're going to be um, starting a whole host of groups to people who've been impacted by trauma and grief, and those are groups that groups that are going to be offered in person in the New York area and also virtually, so people can participate nationally. And we really hope to reach people that um, really haven't been reached before. As an example, not only will we have groups for um, widows, actually in partnership with Samhainu, adults who've lost a parent, we're going to be starting groups for siblings. We know that um, you know people who've lost a sibling that grief is very profound, but often is not really addressed. You know, they have services for parents and services for children, but very little out there for siblings. So we're going to be starting groups for siblings. We're looking to do retreats for different populations who also whose needs have not been met, including uh, retreats for siblings, retreats for um, adult uh, parents who've lost an adult child. Just really be able to reach different people who haven't really been reached before the expansion of our services. Uh, David Mendel and Tivi with us. Tivi, uh, why do we need all this? Meaning, is this an outgrowth of COVID that there are so many people that are now willing to come forward and, and deal with whatever grief and trauma they may have? Uh, or we have we just, even without COVID, we've just gotten to a point in our community uh, where the volume of people who are ready to recognize what they're going through and deal with it has just gotten very large. I think that there's a lot more openness now around mental health than there has been before, uh, in large part due to COVID. Um, we know that there have been a lot of losses due to COVID, but it's not just about people who've actually experienced a bereavement. There's been such a change in our typical routines. There's a new term that's come out called languishing, which is a term that is meant for people who are just, they may not be clinically depressed, but they're just not thriving. There's just, there's a lot more irritability, there's a lot more anxiety that we've been seeing, people coming into our clinic with um, panic disorder and anxiety, sadness, problems in their relationships. So we're definitely seeing the impact out there. If you talk to any teacher in a classroom, we do a lot of school-based work, and that's something that we really hope to expand um, with the expansion of our services. Teachers would have said before COVID, maybe 10% of their kids were disruptive to the classroom or 10% of the kids in the class were kids that you might describe as, quote, unquote, bouncing off the walls. But since COVID, they, they're saying it's more like 40 to 50% of the kids in their class that are having some of these issues. Hmm. So we really see uh, just the increased prevalence, and it's something that we're really looking to address in a comprehensive way, not just in terms of trauma response, but in terms of a more proactive prevention response to trauma. Well, the website has three uh, major categories here. There may be others, but the three that you're featuring here on the website, one of them is Disaster Mental Health Services. And, David, it's no secret that we've spoken about this many, many times on the air. Something happens anywhere, and you're there to help adults and children deal uh, with whatever disaster has occurred. Then the Trauma Outreach and Services, which a lot of people are just learning this morning, predates COVID. It's always been there. It just, you know, I guess not as uh, high profile as uh, when, God forbid, there is a disaster. And uh, the third one you mentioned, the teacher support helpline. I can only imagine how many people are taking advantage of that because, as you just described, it's not a funny thing. It's just, it's just amazing what this pandemic has done to so many different uh, aspects of our community and so many different aspects of what affects our children uh, teachers must be at a loss at times in terms of what to do, uh, especially during specific times of the year during this pandemic. And uh, it must be uh, a relief for them that they could actually pick up the phone or Zoom, however they communicate, and get support um, uh, from the helpline. Uh, I don't know if that, I mean, again, you could tell me, I don't know if that category really existed much 
before this pandemic, but now it seems more important than ever. David, am I right? City has um, successfully authored, along with several colleagues, several um, handbooks, several guidebooks, Mm. several journals that she has distributed to tens of thousands in yeshivas, day schools, and schools around the country, to the Jewish community and beyond. Think of it this way, Nachum. When you were 7, 8, 10 years old, 12 years old, whatever incident occurred in your life, and something happened, because it occurs to everyone. Um, I was um, separated from my parents when, when we came to Israel for, uh, for some time when we were um, you know, about to board, and I remember that. So you remember events for the rest of your life. Two years of COVID and the anxiety that it caused children staying home, you know, after the fun stopped, at some point, the fun of it stopped. And people will remember it, children will remember it in many different ways, impactful ways, anxiety-filled ways, even traumatic ways. These conversations that we're having today with teachers and parents is extremely important in terms of allaying some of the concerns anxiety, fears, trauma, that will help kids thrive, as Sivi said. People are languishing. The long-term effects of COVID are not only neurological and physical. For many, including children, they are also emotional and anxiety-provoking. So this is very practical work that OHEL is doing, that Sivi... Dr. Norman Blumenthal are leading in many ways. Tivi, is it hard to uh, put this staff together as it continues to ever expand? Is it hard to find people who are qualified to do all this? Uh, so we, we, we have actually put together a real dream team, I'm going to say. Um, we have, of course, Dr. Norman Blumenthal. We have Cheryl Chernofsky, who uh, has a lot of experience in trauma work and a lot of experience in schools. And then we have Carly Namder, who has a wealth of experience in school-based work, resilience and positive psychology. So I'm just really excited about the team that we put together. It's really going to be able to do some really good things. Um, If I could speak actually a little bit more to the point that you said about teachers and about work in schools, because it's something that we're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really feel we've spoken to so many teachers. The teachers have really been the unsung heroes during this pandemic. Like the last couple of years, these teachers have been not just teachers, but nurses, therapists, you know, mass police, negotiators, uh, sometimes lunch monitors because so many, you know, absences due to sickness. So the Ma- teachers have really been through so, so much. So we really wanted to make sure that the teachers had their own space to deal with their own needs, to have a helpline where they can call for, firstly, their own emotional support, as well as issues that may come up in the classroom, different classroom behaviors that they might need extra support with. It's all part of an overall initiative that we're going to be developing, which is called Trauma-Sensitive Schools. And it's really, it goes much more beyond like a one-time training on trauma. It's really like an entire approach to help, you know, schools kind of change the culture and understand the prevalence and impact of of trauma, not just single catastrophic event trauma, but the trauma of abuse, divorce, the pandemic-related trauma, and how to recognize and respond in like a very comprehensive way. We're putting together really a whole model that involves training not just teachers, but training 
the you know the front desk staff, the administrators, the school nurse, because the school nurse is pivotal. Is pivotal. We know that after 9/11, there was a 300% increase of visits to the school nurse. Wow. After Hurricane Sandy, kids were coming to the school nurse with cough because of all the you know the molds in the house, and they even dubbed it the Rockaway cough and for Rockaway. We know that in COVID, you know, kids are constantly at the at the office of the school nurse. So we want to be able to really train everyone, all the student-facing staff in the schools about trauma and how to respond when kids are presenting with issues that may not have a medical basis, but it's still, or may or may not, but it still feels very real to them. So it's really training everyone to kind of look at kids with that trauma lens. Like not, oh, what's wrong with this child, but what happened to this child? What happened to this child that they're acting in this way, and how can I help them? Amazing. Sivvy Ryder's with us, Director of Children's and Trauma Services of the Zachter Family National Trauma Center, which is brand new. David Mandel, of course, CEO of OHEL. Uh, I'd love to get both of you to comment on this. Um, uh, David sent me the guidelines, if that's the way to put it, or a review of the way people should consider dealing with the Ukraine situation vis-a-vis children and adults. A lot of people are feeling stress, anxiety, etc. My theory is, and I don't know if this is such a brilliant theory, but I think it it may just be obvious, uh, this might be the first full-scale, high-profile war, uh, or whatever you want to call it, I'll call it a war for now, um, that where the footage... And the um, and the uh, and and the, the and the scenes of disaster are available immediately to everybody around the world. And if we have to assume, which I think we should, that most of our younger kids, certainly you know above a certain age, are on social media and seeing these videos and seeing the pleas for uh, for help and seeing the uh, disastrous attacks that are going on, I think we're in a very different. Uh, war situation. Uh, obviously, in previous decades and centuries, people had to deal with the immediacy if, in fact, the war affected them. And I'm sure there was a lot of trauma involved. But now we're talking about an entire world of all ages that can you know, have a front row seat to this disaster that's going on. I'd love both of you to comment on that and tell me if that's why these guidelines <clears throat> are even more important these days. Malcolm, I'd like you to sit back for about an hour. I'd like you to sit back for about an hour and listen to my response because um, you just opened up so many, so many points. This is, you're right, this is the first war that, and, and it's just terrible to even call it a war, that provides instantaneous information. The guidelines that Civi and the Dr. Norman Blumenthal and Civi and Cheryl and Carly drafted last night, uh, the type of guidelines that we prepare in response to virtually any type of disaster or tragedy that we quickly put out to people and put out on our website. This conflict in Ukraine has so many levels to it. Um, of course, the major, most significant level is the death and destruction of cities and, and the killing of people and and hopefully that will stop today and the peace talks, however the terms, will be successful. Think about the fact also that Putin has talked about destabilizing a president who is Jewish, and now the entire world, every single media, describes him as a Jewish president. Mm-hmm. 
And Putin says that he wants to dethrone him, to denazify, to denazify Ukraine, a Jewish president. Ukraine, of course, goes back to World War II, where Czechoslovakia, my parents, my in-laws, the Czech Republic, which was carved up after World War II, became Munkac. Munkac was the point of departure for nearly 900,000 Jews during the war, 450,000 in April 1944, to Auschwitz, the extermination camps. And Munkac is now part of the Ukraine. The Baltic states, um, Lithuania, Estonia, um, anyone who has parents and grandparents and OHEL does so much work with Holocaust survivors. So this entire conflict brings back, brings so much together with anti-Semitism and the Shoah and, and the current war that Putin and, and Israel is being put into the middle between the United States and Russia. And I'm not being political over here. There's so much going on in the conversation over there that affects the world and obviously, most of all, affects the Ukrainians. So OHEL is doing its small share to come back full circle. OHEL is doing its small share, its infinitesimal share, but very, very significantly important in describing the events and helping parents speak to their children um, we've always said that, uh, you know, parents should understand that children know everything. They shouldn't say, oh, I'm going to keep it away from my child to protect them. The silver lining of COVID, the silver lining of COVID, as Sivi said earlier, is that people are much more open today to talk. Anxiety is no longer a terrible word. It's a commonplace word. Sivi. Sivi, what could you add to this, especially on the point that uh, all of this is, you know, in the palm of our hands at no matter what age someone is, and they see this up close and personal? Right. No, it's so true what you said. Like, we cannot shield, shield our children from this. Right. You know, even young children, they already know. They pick up on everything. There is a famous expression, the children are excellent observers but poor interpreters. <laughs> so they kind of, you know, know what's going on, but they don't really know. They don't really know how to understand it, which is why we really need the adults around them to kind of check in, check in on what they do understand and what's happening and help them understand it to the extent that any of us can understand what's happening, but help create some type of narrative around it so that the children still feel safe. That even though the world outside may not, might not always be safe, we have safety in our home. And there are people who are helping, and there are things that we can do to help. And so parents need to be the ones to have those conversations. And that's why the, we created those guidelines, because we wanted to give parents just, you know, some sense of, like, what they can actually do. There's a lot that they can do. Also, um, children's coping, especially young children, is very high, highly correlated to the coping of the adults around them. So the adults who are affected also need to take care of themselves, surround themselves by people who are going to be, you know, supportive, um, and not dismissive of their feelings, you know, uh, this famous expression by Viktor Frankl that an abnormal response to an abnormal situation is normal. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many different ways that people are responding to this, whether it's with feelings of sadness or irritability or having difficulty sleeping. And it's normal given the situation and people you know, have to be kind of kind to themselves and seek out support when they need it. 
Uh, no question about it. Uh, the the what, what was sent to me this morning that is available on the website in terms of response to, or not response, how to deal with the uh, Ukraine situation? It will be on the website today, yes. OLfamily.org, that'll be on the website today, everybody. And I highly recommend it. Not, not only is it great in terms of uh, guidelines for uh, this whole Ukraine situation, our children being exposed to it, but frankly, there's a lot of great uh, tools in there um, that can be applied to any type of stressful and traumatic situation. So take a look at that. It'll be on olfamily.org a little later on, and uh, it's specifically designated uh, to deal with the, um, uh, the the children and adults in our community who are dealing with the trauma of uh, watching and uh, dealing with the Ukraine um, military situation. Uh, we are wishing a mazal tov to our friends at Ohel. Uh, there is now a Zachter Family National Trauma Center, as outlined by the CEO of OHEL, David Mandel, and the Director of Children's and Trauma Services of the Zachter Family National Trauma Center, Tzivi Ryder. And this is a very significant expansion, development, uh, call it whatever you want. Uh, this is going to help even more and more people nationwide uh, who are seeking some type of relief from the anxiety, the trauma, um, the difficult, stressful situations uh, that come up on a daily basis, and private situations, and obviously those that are uh, that take, the, and, and obviously th- those same feelings that take place when uh, when a community uh, suffers a um, local or, God forbid, national tragedy. So keep all that in mind as uh, Ohel continues to address this very important topic. I'll give the final word to both of you. Uh, Tzivi, anything you'd like to add about all this as we congratulate you on the Zachter Family National Trauma Center? Well, we would love for people to, you know, reach out, learn more about our services. We're going to be launching our trauma-sensitive schools model in the fall. So if anyone would like more information about that, it's a really comprehensive model that we think is going to really be transformative in schools. Uh, Please reach out. Contact Carly Namder, who's coordinating that program. And, of course, for all of our just our regular services, our trauma response services, just you know, reach out, check our website. We're going to be launching really new services every week. And we hope that it's really going to be you know, really a benefit and meaningful to the community. Oh, well, that's an understatement. It certainly will be. And congratulations again. And to David Mandel, anything you'd like to add about this uh, big piece of news, the National Trauma Center under the OHEL auspices and dedicated by the Zachter family. Anything you'd like to add about all this, David? Channel 5, over many years, you remember the Channel 5 10 o'clock news. Oh, yeah. not with the slogan. <laughs> Do you know where your children are? Do you know where your children are? And, you and, my, mo- and, my, mo- and my mother of blessed memory would, would take the opportunity to go through the whole list to make sure she knew where, where, all, where all six were sleeping that night. <laughs> Right, right. Jay and our music world used to right. think about uh, that little uh, adage, do you know where your children are? It's, right. it's 10 p.m., do you know where your children are? Right. So, Nachum Siegel has tens and tens and tens, if not hundreds of thousands of listeners across the globe every single morning. And you, start, and you are 24-hour, from 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. I suggest that henceforth, the Nachum Siegel Network started show after the Modiani by saying, it's 6 a.m., it's 10 a.m. Have you dealt with your anxiety today? <laughs> that would be a message that many people would love to hear. The truth is, though, David, a lot of what we do here does help people ease their stress and anxiety. 
So, you know, there is a benefit. I, I, I'm not a professional in this area. I'm only a professional in the radio space. But there could be a big benefit to people tuning in to stuff they enjoy hearing and stuff that really permeates their uh, their thoughts in a very positive manner. So you, you may be on to something, sir. We'll talk about it. One hundred percent. Music also, you should know, is incredibly beneficial in yeah, healing. No question about it. I saw the reaction uh, at recent concerts. It's like uh, there there are people who 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 give the appearance that they are just stressed out constantly, been legitimately at at work and and different responsibilities they have in the community, etc. And then they're at a music event or just tuned into some great music, and all of a sudden their whole perspective changes. Uh, David Mandel, Civi Rider. Again, Mazal Tov. Our best to the Zachter family. And thank you so much for joining us this morning at JM in the AM. Thank you very much, Nathan. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Civi. Much appreciated, both of you. Thank you so much. David Mandel, of course, the CEO of OHEL. Civi Rider, Director of the Children's and Trauma Services of the Zachter Family National Trauma Center, which is now, hey, been announced on JM&AM, so now it's official. And again, we wish the Zachter family and everybody at OHEL amazing uh, good wishes on this amazing accomplishment. Monday morning, more coming up at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with David Mandel and Sivi Ryder. Rabbi Mordechai Kanelski was with us recently. He gave us a uh, an opportunity to help with one community in the Ukraine that has been displaced by recent events. My conversation with Ari Mordechai Kanelski from JM in the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. I mentioned earlier that um, that during my absence, uh, one of the few people I spoke to, uh, frankly, was Ari Mordechai Kanelski, my good friend. We've been together for a very, very long time. He leads Bris Avram. And um, obviously, I mean, I shouldn't say obviously, I don't think we've spent enough time on this uh, network speaking about what's going on in the Ukraine. Um, uh, we did have an opportunity when Mayor spoke to Malcolm last Friday to touch on some of the issues. Uh, but there are so many stories of heroism, so many stories of uh, of terrible, heartbreaking episodes. And I mean heartbreaking literally, where, where, where physically people are being so afflicted and affected and heartbreaking emotionally. And Rabbi Kanelsky told me one of those stories. He also, I, I know we're very far away. Well, we're not very far away. I know we're, we're still a distance away from our Nissan Chesed campaign. And I'm looking to make this year's campaign even stronger. Um, just keeping other people in mind. And I know we have time. I know we have time until Rosh Chodesh Nissan. I know we have time until after Purim. But in a way, I think that this um, this effort that Rabbi Kanelsky is now is now leading is really part of our Nissan Chesed campaign, even though it's still the month of Adar. And I would like to encourage people to to hop aboard and to be part of it. Uh, Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Special today, Zion Adar, very special day in the Jewish calendar. And uh, in the merit of that day, we know that happened the great miracle of Purim. And we know that in the merit of that day, the Rebbeinu Show will do miracles today also. Today is the, uh, birthday, we, the birthday and yard site of Moshe Rebbeinu. I did not know that it's the yard site of Esther Hamalka, Queen Esther as well. I did not know also. Yeah. Then today is a very special day, very unique day. And it's a moment to ask everything from the Rebbeinu Show. Because our connection to God is through the Taylor, 
and as it says, Moshe Emes v'Terosei Emes, v'Yaminu ba'Hashem of Moshe Avdei, that when a Jew has the belief in Moshe Rabbeinu, has the belief in God, and is connected to God, and that's through Teiru Mitzvahs. And the greatest mitzvah that the Teiru is teaching us is the mitzvah v'Ahavta v'Riach Hakomeichu. As Rabbi Kiva says, says, and Rashi says it. This is the entire Teda, the Idach Pirushi, and everything else is explanation of that. Yeah. But more than that, what's going on in Jetomer, this is a now. What, what, city. What's, what's, one second. Let, let's let's set the stage here because there have been so many names of cities and regions that we keep hearing, and you know how the news is just bombarding everybody with what's happening in the Ukraine. Where is this? Where is this city? And and uh, what type of Jewish population does it have? The town of Zhitomer is about 100 miles from Kiev. I was not there ever yet, and I hope to be there one day, but I was not there. Rev. Shlomo Vilholem and his wife Esther were sent by the rabbi there as emissaries, and they opened up that place 27 years ago as Chabad emissaries in Zhitomer. Fifteen years ago, I met Rabbi Vilholem by the oil of the rabbi, and he asked me for help. And the Rebbeinu Shalom connects different things. And even that we are, you all know that I have here Bris Avroham, that I'm so involved. But when somebody comes and cries and needs help, we put everything away in helping another Jew. As, as it says in Tehillim, Me'ayin Yove Ezri, Ezri Mim Hashem. And the Rebbe once said, one of the Rebbe's of Chabad said, when you fulfill the ayin, the missing from one Jew, from another Jew, the Rebbeinu Shem says, I will help you. Ezri mi Hashem. May I in Ezri, from where comes my Ezri? From nothing. What's in nothing? When you have helped the other Jew that has the Atzorah, you help him, God will help you. Then he asked me that he has a building that the government wants to give him, that he, for a lot of pressure, he gets a building back, but it's an abandoned building. The property is good, we have to fix up the building. And I want to do there a children's school. And we raised money, Baruch Hashem, through our supporters. And the building was built and became an unbelievable building. And it grew up to a school for over 200 children. And by the way, we have to point out, now that I see on the map where it is, right literally in the center of the Ukraine, um, it, it's 100 miles from Kiev, about 100 miles from Uman. Um, the story that you're telling in terms of bu- building buildings and Chabad houses and children's schools, etc., I mean, this has been going on for God knows how many years in, in more than 100 places in the Ukraine, right? I mean, this is a there, – there are so many – there are so many cities. There are so many places there, and Chabad did there an unbelievable job, first of all, to give new life to these people that communism take over, took away from them for 70 years. But the most important, it gave them connection, hope, trust. So many Balichuas became there. It's just unbelievable what was done there. And I want to tell you, when I was by myself with my wife two years ago in, in Moscow, by the, by the invitation from Bravo Lazar, I want to tell you, I did not recognize. It's it's something that for me, who was born in Russia, and who my family was prosecuted in Russia, my father and mother were refusing for seven years. I by myself was sitting in a cell for a year and a half. And seeing what's going on today, it is a miracle from God in every single stage. But back to what's going on today in Zhitomer, in this town, 
then 15 years ago we built a school and then about 10 years ago he opened up an orphanage home called Olamenu. In that orphanage home he started with 10 children, grew to 28, and grew up to 60 Yisoyimim Nebuch. Many, many mothers, Jewish mothers, giving birth to a child, leaving the child in the hospital, and Rabbi Shoma Wilhelm with his wife picked up children, and I just unbelievable what they did to the children. From, from moral support, physical support, medical support, everything. I have pictures of, and videos of these children thriving and literally having a good time. He called me up two weeks ago on Friday morning and says to me, Mato, I am devastated. I must save these children. He says, the thing here costs 180 children, 60 same him. The rest are regular children, Baruch Hashem. We have to save them because the war started. We got together some people, Baruch Hashem, and at this moment we saved not just the children, but over 500 people was moved from Shetomer, first of all to do to the Carpathian Mountains, then to Romania, and Baruch Hashem, they are today in Israel, the children. The children arrived to Israel, and I'm sure the whole social media saw Prime Minister of Israel, Mr. Bennett, holding a child as he goes down the steps from the plane, and next to him is standing Rabbi Shmor Shomer Behoven. Bris Avraham, friends and supporters, got, were paying for the buses to take out them from Zhitomer to uh, uh, Carpathian Mountains, then to Romania, being in Romania, pay, uh, staying in a hotel, getting food, and moving further. And today, there is still many, many people who are by the border and cannot uh, leave the border because of no papers. There is many people left in Zhitomer. Rabbi Wilhelm left for them food in the basement of the shul before he left Zhitomer. He but, uh, bought food for over $30,000 worth of food that could stay in the basement, and the Gabai and the Shamash of the Shul are distributing this for families. I saw the pictures, how they giving out packages of food, soup, people coming to have a kosher meal there, a, just a hot meal, just to survive. Unfortunately, two days ago, it came out some news that the people in Jetomer got bended and people hit them, and therefore they had to run away. It's false news. I spoke with Rabbi Wilhelm yesterday. I speak with him every single day since last Friday, since two weeks ago Friday. Tomorrow will be two weeks. I'll be speaking every day. Nobody ran away because of anything. But thank God that they, they, they left. His wife, Esther, went with the first boss. He went with the last boss of the children and mothers and children. I mean, you, you, I see the pictures. It surprised the heart. It's the, your heart is melting. And, uh... the, most important, what, the most important, what touched my life and touched me personal, he sent me a, a clip, and he's crying by himself. He's working in his house from wall to wall, and cries and says, God, you sent me here 27 years ago to build this town, to make this community, and to go with the entire community to Eretz Yisrael with Mashiach. I don't know what to take with me. I cannot take nothing with me, because I have to run on the bus. The people are waiting for me outside. And by the end, what did he take with him? A sefer 
that survived the Holocaust, that in the shul in Zhitomer, they were reading that Sefer every single Shabbos. And that Sefer takes with him that this is the most precious thing that he takes with him. Everything else he says, we are able to help you further. Sorry for interrupting you. I'm just, that picture and that video, he cries and he holds the Sefer and he walks with the Sefer by the border of Romania between the tents. And you have to see him and he is with his hands up with a smile and says, gotten you, you are with me. Rabbi Kanelsky's with us. We're talking about uh, just one of the episodes that uh, uh, is happening during this war in the Ukraine. And thank God the hundreds of people that Rabbi Kanelsky's speaking about made it to Israel or to other places. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, there are still plenty of people in the community in Jatomer who need to be supported and are being supported by food and a support system left in place by Rabbi Wilhelm and his family. Um, by the way, this story, and I know that they're not all duplicates. I know, I know it's not exactly the same. But the type of story that you're mentioning, communities that are still intact and need and, and, and are just desperate for basic necessities, uh, people still trying to escape, uh, not knowing what to, do, what to do with the elderly and the handicapped and, and those who refuse to leave, etc., I assume this is if there are 150 Chabad centers in Ukraine, I would imagine this scene is being, you know, played out in many of them, and that the rabbis and rebbitzins, some of them, don't know what to do. Some have left; others have decided they must stay with their people. I want to tell you, I have a big, big heroin uh, for for these people that are still there. I give an example. I know their family personal, the Wolf family. One rabbi is in Odessa, one rabbi is in Kherson. You're talking here two brothers. I am very close with, with the family. Their father of blessed memory helped my family when we came to Israel in 1970. His father was carrying the suitcases from the bus to our apartment in 1970 when we came uh, from Russia. Then I'm connected with that family very, very close. My nephew was living in, in Odessa. And you have to see how he brought his Beisei Seimim, and they are now in Berlin. And I'm sure you saw the social media, how the president of Germany came to eat lunch with these children. Look what's going on here. So many years ago, we all ran away from, from, from Germany. They destroyed us. Now these people saving these people. Nobody knows what's going on. It's a turmoil. The only thing which we, we know that there is Jews and they are our brothers. Eighty years ago, if we had money, and we would be able to save one more Jew from Germany, one more Jew from Hungary, we would save, do everything. Nobody knows what's going to be tomorrow. If we could save one more Jew to take, go out from Ukraine or to any place and to come to a safe haven at our obligation as children and brothers from God, we should all do that to save one more Jew. As I said earlier during this show uh, to the audience, um, my thoughts have been, and I and this is obviously something I've wanted to address once I got back. My thoughts have been to to limit our discussion on the air about the uh, different funds that have been set up and all the solicitations that people are getting for the Ukraine, uh, and more importantly, to emphasize to people to um, to to drift toward the more uh, well-known, established organizations where we trust and we assume that they are doing their due diligence to make sure the money gets to where it needs to get to. 
And I think that needs to be our attitude in general, but certainly now when we're being bombarded by requests. With that in mind, I am asking everybody to be as generous as possible. Rabbi Kanelsky is appealing for people, some of whom have escaped and now need basic necessities, whether in Israel or other places, and some of whom are literally where in, in the middle of a war, in the middle of a war, not knowing what the next minute will bring. Rabbi Kanelsky mentioned the, uh, before we don't know what the next day will bring. They don't know what the next minute will bring. And when you watch uh, somebody like um, the president of Russia destroy millions of lives in 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 a in a in in a matter of seconds from the perspective of our world, um, you literally don't know what's going to be in the next minutes. Um, Rabbi Kanelsky, how do people support this cause? I've mentioned that this time of year is one where we really try to get people to focus on doing things for others. You mentioned the importance of Zion Adar. You mentioned the importance of Ahavta Lorecha Kamocha. What can we do right now in order to uh, help you and everybody who's leading the communities in Ukraine, helping those who are refugees in Israel and other countries at this point? What can we do to help right now? If you, anybody, could write out a check to Brisa Avrohom and write Zetomer, very, very important. I don't want to mix, to miss, to mix any donations because the money that goes for Zetomer goes straight to Rabbi Wilhelm and his wife. Then anybody who sends the check and writes Brisa Avrohom because that is the legal name here in the United States, but at the bottom, any place you want to write the name Zetomer, but you must write also Brisa Avrohom then that money goes straight to the rabbi and the rabbitson that they should be able to, 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 to do it. You know, I'm watching on the picture, and now as I'm talking to you, I'm watching on the picture of the face of Mrs. Wilhelm, Rabbitson Wilhelm. She came here a few times to speak when we made different fundraisers for the, for the Beisei Sabian. She was vibrant. She, she had a smile. Her face is white. She doesn't know what's going on. And a personal note, they have a child also that need help. I mean, you're talking here a family that I know personal. And, and, but from the other side, you say, you look at the rabbi, he cries, but he says, Hashem besimcha. God is my father, and he will never let me down. You look at him on the both sides of, the, of, the, of, the, of this, and you say, I must help him. He must fix up. One more thing I forgot to tell you. On Monday, two bosses from Berdichev, Rabbi Wilhelm sponsored also. That's the next town next to Zhitomer. Two bosses from Berdichev of elderly Jews left. And, and uh, if you want, I could, anybody who wants to see some pictures or video, I'd be more than happy to send. Call the office, 908-289-0770. I will repeat, 908-289-0770. Or if you send a check, Brice Abraham, see care of Zetomer, 910 Salem Avenue, Hillside, New Jersey, 07205. And in the merit of us doing that, as now we are Thursday before Parsha Zohar, Zohar, Asher Oso Lechomolik, Bechol Deir Vodeir Indi Maweinu Lechaweseinu. In every single generation, there is the people who want to destroy us. And the only one who saves us the Rebbein Hashem is saving us. The Rebbein Hashem did the miracles on Purim. The Rebbein Hashem did the miracles again. 
Hedish order, body Mazla, and we will prevail. The Dan Notzach. Rabbi Kanelska, I have to make a suggestion. I assume people can donate online at brisavram yes. at brisavram.org, and I say that because a lot of people would probably want to do that right now. Uh, brisavram, A-V-R-O-H-O-M dot org. There's a donate button, and I'm assuming that somewhere on that page people can write that it's for Shatomer, correct? Yes. Yes. So go to brisavram.org, use the address that uh, Rabbi Kanelsky gave out at 910 Salem Avenue in Hillside, New Jersey. Use the phone number Rabbi Kanelsky gave out to be in touch if you want to donate over the phone, 908-289-0770, 908-289-0770. We are uh, watching, I, I, I don't even know what to say. I, 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 we are bombarded by, a, by images of a war that's being conducted uh, with social media paying paying 100% attention to it, and the, and television and radio and everybody paying attention to what's happening in the Ukraine. And it's just to see the suffering that is going on is just unbelievable. And, um, you know, I, 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 you mentioned earlier about being in Moscow, and you've told us many stories of your youth, especially this time of year, because we always talk about Purim and Pesach and what it was like in Russia. Uh, in a way, is this much more believable for you. You know, we sit back and I make a statement that that one person, and I don't want to give him the credit to call him a madman or a crazy person because that would give him too much of an excuse for what he's doing. But one person in in the stroke of a pen or in the in the in the issuance of an order can can alter and ruin the lives of millions of people. Is it less surprising for you because of how you grew up than it is for someone like me? I I, I, let me tell you one thing. I am still afraid to talk on social media about that because I am still born in Russia. And we'll be honest with you, for 50 years, I was afraid to go there. I still have this fear. And my children spoke with me many, many times, says, Tati, you must go there to break the fear from that. I went, I saw striving, beautiful, everything the best. I don't want to talk anything about it. I don't want to talk about the negative. I want to talk only about positive. Positive is God gave us an opportunity to do an extra mitzvah for our brothers and sisters. What is in God's plan, only God knows. I don't know. Rebbein Shoyam created me, created the world, created everything. And he has his plan. One of his plans is it should be the mitzvah of Rehakomecho. And that's our job is today. Not to talk about the negative, do positive. Sur And then becomes back a showing where it fail. Distance yourself from negative, do positive, proceed peace, and run after that. has to be shown. But Zdoka is bringing the show. And every one of us will do, but we should not just do the Zdoka. I would like to suggest it should be all the three things. Tero, Stilo, and Zdoka. Because there is just the three pillars that stands the world. And each one of us should make an extra Stilo, Tero, learn something for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. Kisea extra capital tilium for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. And give extra docker for our brothers and sisters in Ukraine and in Russia. And in that merit will be by Yahweh Mahaim, Bismanazer.
Herbert Kanelski, you mentioned something to me uh, earlier this week uh, that I know is a much more mundane topic, but I think it's interesting to to note uh, because um, many people have spoken about how what's going on in the Ukraine affects people around the world, and often we don't believe that because <laughs> you know we don't believe it until we actually experience it. Uh, you said to me that that Jews around the world don't realize just how much of the matzah for Pesach comes from the Ukraine. That's another thing. For the past so many years, I had matzah here for a much cheaper price that we had the ability to distribute this matzah that was baked in Ukraine. We don't have this matzah this year. I'm, I'm not trying here to, I'm not in the matzah business sale that I should tell you that because of that, the matzah prices will go up. Right. But this is another fact that was a positive for the, just look on the positive note of that. If I, when I was in Russia, I had to get matzah from Israel to Russia. Now, Ukraine was sending matzah to, um, to, yeah, to America and to Israel. Just think what the Benishim changes everything. <laughs> but the bottom line is, we don't have matzahs. And, and, you, and you believe it's actually going to lead to a worldwide matzah shortage? It is already now. It is already now. If you want to go out now and buy a thousand pounds of matzah, uh, you cannot. You cannot. And in a typical year, you can. Just of the records, I already have in my possession four thousand pounds of matzah that I bought to distribute it. Unbelievable. You never know. You never know. Um, and as you said, uh, the one above is in charge of everything. Uh, let's uh, let's step it up, everybody. And um, I know there are many, many funds, and there's many, many wonderful organizations that are collecting and no doubt following up to make sure the money goes where it needs to go. Uh, you heard the story about the Wilhelm family. You heard the story of heroism of Rabbi Wilhelm and his wife and the children. And I don't mean his own children in this case. I mean the children in the orphanage. Um. By the way, you said something. I want to interrupt you for one word. You said something. If you would yeah. know, if you would know, Rabbi Wilhelm, it's not the children of the orphanage. This is his children. Yeah, he is so feeling that these children, the orphanage, as his children, to a to a different level of our sisters. By the way, you said something earlier, which I want to go back to for a second, uh, unless you were just being, you know, you you didn't mean it wholeheartedly, but. It sounds like Rabbi Wilhelm is 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 believing that he'll return to Zhatomer. Yes. Wow. It's pretty amazing. He believes in that. He believes in that, and he prays to that, and he says that there is still Jews there, and as long as there is one Jew in Zhatomer, he, as the rabbi, is responsible for him. That is his belief, and that's what he says. He says, I am temporarily in Israel now, to settle these children, what's my next step? I asked him yesterday, I said to him, Shleiman, what's the next step? He said, everything. I don't know nothing. Everything is in the hands of God, he says. I just know one thing. Now I have here the children. I have to settle them, make sure that everything is done. Then I will think, what's my next step? Anything that you give to uh, Bris Avram for Zhatomer, please make sure to mark it for Zhatomer. Uh, 908-289-0770, 908-289-0770, or 910 Salem Avenue in Hillside, New Jersey, 910 Salem Avenue in Hillside, New Jersey. 
Uh, or you can go to the website, Briss Avraham, Briss, B-R-I-S, Avraham, A-V-R-O-H-O-M.org, and go to the Donate uh, button at the top of the page. There will be somewhere on that form where you can make sure that Rabbi Kanelsky knows it's for Jatomer. Just make sure to go out of your way to do that uh, to make it as easy as possible on the people in his office. Uh, Rabbi Kanelsky, we haven't really kicked off our Nissan Chesed campaign yet, but uh, it seems like it's coming fast and furious this year. There are a lot of Jews around the world, especially in the Ukraine, who need our help. Rabbi Nachum, thank you. In the merit of you spreading Yiddishkeit through the airwaves, there's so many people that hear only about Yiddishkeit, only through you. May the Rebbeinu Shalom give to you and Stacy gesund, gesund, and gesund, and nachas from your whole family, and to continue to spread the light of good for so many organizations, so many world organizations through your waves of the radio. Yasher koyach, and thank you. And I'm going to wish you a freilich and purim. Amen. Amen. Gamatam. Thank you. Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky, everybody. Brissav Ram, 908-289-0770. 908-289-0770. Go to brissavram.org, B-R-I-S-A-V-R-O-H-O-M.org. I was very taken by this story. And if we could do something to help, let's do it. Uh, you want to earmark the funds for Zhatomer. Zhatomer. Brissav Ram is 910 Salem Avenue in Hillside, New Jersey, 07205. 07205. You want to earmark the funds for Jatomer. More coming up. It is a Thursday morning broadcast. I'm honored to be here and very thankful to the one above that I am here. And you're listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Mordechai Kanelsky. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up. Keep it right here at the Nahum Siegel Network.